Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. Let's go ahead and talk to Stephanie right now. Yes. Stephanie, how are you? Welcome. Welcome. How are both of you? We are good. We are just yes. bitching and moaning. We're complaining about Jared Kushner. I, was, I don't know if you could see me, but the whole time I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is terrible. How are things going uh, with, we should let people know that you're from Rep. Jayapal's office. Uh, you have been working on healthcare stuff for a long time. You're a big proponent of Medicare for all. You guys wrote the bill for on Medicare for all. Thank you for pushing for that. And, and how are things going right now? Like, What's the climate, the healthcare climate, especially with Amy Coney Barrett getting confirmed last night? Oh my goodness. Um, I think that right now, I mean, everything just feels so fragile, not just in terms of the healthcare, but our democracy. Yeah. <laughs> and healthcare is obviously intertwined with that. And I think right now, I mean, this whole year has just sort of been a onslaught of bad news after another, after another. So it's been, it's been hard to maintain that focus, but I think it's really important, especially right now, especially with the election coming up and, re- and reminding ourselves of really what's at stake and why that should motivate us to stay really focused. Um, so there's just, but there's, there's really attacks coming from all different angles. This is not just about healthcare coverage. This is really across the board about protections for our LGBTQ communities, our immigrant communities, our reproductive health. Um, so it's a lot <laughs> to think about. Um, right. And, and so I guess before we talk, I want to talk about kind of how, if how you think this is going to go with Amy Coney Barrett and, you know, where we're headed on the healthcare front. But first I want to ask you, you know, we're in a pandemic. The pandemic has held up a mirror to our society. Has there ever been a more obvious moment, a, a moment that makes it more obvious that Medicare for all is what we need in this country? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, What's sad is that way before the pandemic, I mean, really, our our country was in crisis. Our healthcare system was in crisis. You know, as polls have already shown, seventy percent of people believed our healthcare system was in crisis. It was the number one issue at the polls. Again, this is before the pandemic. You know, leading cause of medical bankruptcy, leading cause of bankruptcy was medical claims. Um, Eighty-seven million people uninsured, underinsured. You know, all of the statistics that we had before. By the way, we're number one in medical bankruptcies here in Tennessee. Oh yeah. You know Tennessee leading and all the bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> exactly, and so I, I think people were aware that this was a problem. But I think that what the question was was if what kind of solution do we need? How bold or how big of a solution? And so what I think COVID nineteen has done really is just shown us that this is a very deep seated issue. This is is much more than just trying to provide some coverage. This is really about guaranteeing protection, right? And in your most vulnerable times at all times, not just when you're unemployed, not just when things are going right, right but it from, you know, every moment from birth to death. So I think COVID-19 has made that very clear. Absolutely. And, you know, so many people have lost their jobs and with that goes their employer-based health insurance. Yeah. Pretty clearly not an answer if you're one of those millions of people who have lost their jobs. And then 
Now we have Amy Coney Barrett. <clears throat> you know, I, I know we would all acknowledge that the Affordable Care Act isn't perfect, but clearly that's now under threat. What do you think is going to happen to the Affordable Care Act and what's what are people saying on the Hill? Sure. I mean, I think that it's there's a lot of different attacks that are about to happen on the ACA, not just about whether or not it's constitutional, um, which mm-hmm. is coming up very soon after the election, but also about different protections that it provides um, for different communities. And so, I mean, what, what she has shown us through her previous actions as a as judge is that she definitely does not agree with <laughs> a lot of the different parts of the ACA, but also in terms of different protections um, across for either different vulnerable groups or reproductive health. And so, I mean, I think we can sadly assume that she will strip away at least significant parts of the ACA. She will definitely um, reduce or increase restrictions on reproductive health. She'll increase restrictions on access to health for immigrants. Um, and then she'll also, I think, she, she you know, she, she had a, 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 there was a question that asked her if she felt, if she, she thought the social security program and Medicare was constitutional and she refused to answer. Right. right. Now we're even like, okay, wow, it's not just the ACA, it's really across the board in terms of healthcare. We cannot even, we don't have a judge who even thinks that those basic programs that we've had for a very long time are constitutional. So well, she won't answer anything. I mean, she, you know, she sat basically sat in a job interview and said no comment about everything because she knew she already had the job. Exactly. You know, but we all know why she's being sent up there, and it's no surprise. Have you had a chance to read President Trump's health care plan that he gave to Leslie Stahl, the <laughs> three thousand page thing that he handed her? Did you have a chance to flip through that? Uh, I can't tell. You're being sarcastic. Yes. yes. <laughs> the, blank, the, blank the blank pages. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, and I think people forget too that there were multiple Republican plans that were introduced, but they didn't pass a Republican Senate, right? Like they didn't make it through when the Republicans had full control of Congress. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, the best plans that they've been able to come up with are clearly wrong because you know nonpartisan entities like the Congressional Budget Office did an analysis and told you, not only will this raise costs insanely, it Mm -hmm. will lose protections and coverage from millions and millions of people. What is your feeling about Joe Biden's health care plan? And like, you know, obviously you guys are on a different page than he is, but is the idea basically let's get him in there and then we'll turn around and push him from the left or whatever side you want to call it once he's in there? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, So my boss was actually the chair of the unity task forces that were set up by Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden. And so they came up with this platform sort of to redefine what a Democratic platform is going to look like, uh, hopefully in a Biden administration. And, you know, I think different members of Congress, and I know um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez just recently came out and, you know, I think she summed it up perfectly in that it would be a privilege to push Biden then right. try to operate under a Trump administration. Um, and so that really no one can underestimate the threat to our democracy, to our society that is Trump. Um, under a Biden administration, I mean, I, I, of course, that plan is nowhere near where I think we should be. Um, I don't think it, it rises up to the occasion that COVID-19 has laid out for us in terms of what we really need to address. That being said, it definitely lays out different foundations that are key to Medicare for all. And so a couple of those things is his public option. 
he has committed to us that he will remain it actually public, which sounds funny, but the public option is going to be administered by uh, Medicare, not by private companies. And so we're gonna be expanding public health insurance for people. Um, we're also gonna negotiate drug prices, which is gonna provide real relief for people. Medicare right now does, is not allowed to negotiate drug prices, which is nuts. Right. Unbelievable. Are the largest purchasers all you need in to the know. world, right? Exactly. And so the fact that we're able to do that, that he's committed to that is huge. And again, it's a staple of the Medicare for all bill. So we're gonna mm -hmm. see parts of these foundations being laid out. And how do we just make sure then to ensure that we're going to limit the ability for private insurers in the healthcare industry to influence whatever public option bill come through, comes through. Um, and That's and, gonna be the hard part. I mean, you know, they definitely have their tentacles in both sides of this equation. You know, it's not like Joe Biden's been running a, you know, pack, a pack free, you know, campaign in his own right. So it's going to be hard. I mean, but it is night and day. And he, I guess you're closer to this than we are. Does he at least seem like somebody who will listen? Um, I think that he definitely will create spaces for this input. And, you know, my um, former chief of staff for uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, he is actually in the Biden transition team. So he has delegates from progressive offices and progressive spaces who are part of the transition team who are intentionally trying to place people with progressive backgrounds in different positions. That's good to hear. I mean, Cassie, you know, you, you and I talk about this a lot where I think, you know, Cassie's a, a true blooded progressive, you know, mm -hmm. I, whereas, you know, I tend to sell out and retweet, <laughs> re retweet the Lincoln project every once in a while, but, <laughs> but, but Cassie has been feeling like maybe there isn't that progressive influence inside the Biden <clears throat> camp as much as we would like to see. So, right. Is that right, Cassie? Um, yeah, well, I guess I just had a, um, like my question on that would be, what do you think, um, Stephanie, what do you think that like, if we are lucky enough to have a Biden administration to push on, um, what do you think that the most tactical ways that the left can push for Medicare for all will be once that happens? Like what are, um, I know that like, at least the way that I think about it is a lot of times when people start to be receiving a service like they did with the ACA, that they don't want to let go of it. So I think that the more that we can start, you know, as you said, like with Biden's plan, we'll get a little bit more, a little bit more here and there. Of course, I want, I want it all as soon as possible with Medicare for all. But what do you think tactically the best way of um, kind of messaging Medicare for all um, off of these, you know, incremental steps might be? Yeah, I mean, I think there's also another strategy happening too, because even if Biden is elected, we still have our Supreme Court and we still right. have the chance that the ACA is dismantled, right? So this urgency that's going to happen if slash when the ACA is truly threatened um, in its existence and you know pre-existing conditions and protections, et cetera, all the things that we've been talking about. When that happens, I think it's really going to bring to the forefront how fragile and fragmented our current healthcare system is. I mean, this mm -hmm. is they're able to peel away these different things because of this sort of disheveled way our healthcare system came together. Yeah. Right? Um, and so I think it's going to push people to demand something more fortified, more, you know, more centralized, more stronger. Right. And so I think that part of the conversation, I mean, it, that's really what happened when um, Senator Sanders ran on Medicare for all the first time in 2016, mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. Republican party was running on repeal and replace. Um, and that was so unpopular, not just because people were supportive of the ACA, but because people recognize how, again, insecure our current healthcare system is. And so I think that mm -hmm. translating that energy 
um, and making sure that people are understanding what is at risk here, translating that and then making the case very, very clear that we are not here for small fixes anymore. We have to address the root of the issue in our healthcare system. Um, I think it definitely has to be highlighted. I think um, if I'm frank, I don't think a, a lot of people that I have met <laughs> who work for the establishment, especially in the health policy space, have personally experienced mm-hmm. how our healthcare system is. They don't know. Right. They, they have That's so them. huge. Yeah. And so I think we have to remind them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and, I think- that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say that I, I totally agree. I think that that's I think that that's a large part of what the left um, needs to be doing. And I think that you know, with with Representative Jayapal, you all in her office, Bernie Sanders, and the folks that that have been pushing for this, and other like you know, large policies like the Green New Deal, sort of more like I mean, they're policies, but also more ideological, um, just sort of statements of values. I think that expanding the like possible, like expanding people's possibilities and like horizons of what's possible and what we can do is so incredibly important for the left to be pushing for because people have been sold, you know, this sort of neoliberal ideal over the past few decades that we're only going to get, you know, half measures when in reality, you know, if we brought back the New Deal coalition, but made it multiracial this time, we could actually get a whole lot more. Yeah, I think the danger with obviously incrementalism in general, but the danger with the next four years, if Biden wins is like nothing, not enough changing. Yeah. And because what's going to end up happening is the next Trump will be worse because he won't be such a fucking buffoon. And and now, (laughs) you know, they've seen the hate works, but let's pair it with some, you know, some slickness. Like I've heard Mm -hmm. Carlson's name mentioned and people like, you know, and if, if somebody could get their act together and ride the same wave of hate, it could be even more insidious next time. So yeah, totally. we need to show them if we win, like, oh, this is what you get when you put Democrats in charge. This is how your life will really change. Is that how you feel too, Stephanie? Absolutely. I think this is so important to drive home. Trump is a symptom, not the mm-hmm. cause, right? He, he, tr- he is the result of our government failing so many different people for so long and delivering what they really need. And I, I don't I don't blame people who support Trump because they find somebody who is, you know, talking about speaking in the way that they want he want to hear in terms of, well, okay, I have an issue, of course, with a lot of the more like racially charged issues, but in terms of <laughs> yeah, hearing a politician who is talking about, you know, understanding the government has failed them, that mm-hmm. is them. And and we haven't built up that trust. We I, I understood it last time. Yeah. This time, this time's a little hard, yeah. I, I, like like anybody who voted for him last time, you know, maybe they didn't like Hillary. They wanted to change, whatever. That's fine. You know, this time now, now, you know, we sort of have the proof. We've seen what happens. You know, people are dead. Like, okay, let's now walk towards the light and make the adult decision here. And, and, you know, that's how it feels anyway. I, I just, I have a hard time really understanding how people can get behind this guy at this yeah. point. Um, but I don't, I don't think it helps to shame people for their vote last time, you know? Yes, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm definitely, I should specify in the beginning, I can understand why people were, were drawn. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, I, I absolutely agree. If we don't, tr- if we don't deliver concrete relief for people's everyday lives in a real way that they can feel, yeah. um, we will find another Trump again. And I absolutely agree. I think, um, I mean, even God, God forbid, if, I mean, even four more years on something like Trump. I mean, really, mm-hmm. what the 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 people don't realize is just 
even even already, I think what we have become comfortable with, what we have allowed from our from our political structures, um, we're down a very slippery slope. Well, there's an appetite for help right now too. Like this stimulus that is not going to get passed for whatever reason. It's like 75% of the country wants it. Right. You know, people want to like help people through this. People want subsidized daycare. People want checks in people's pockets. People want healthcare. Like this is a moment where it's like, oh yeah, we're deeply flawed. There's a lot of fissures in the system. Like let's fix it. And so that's why, you know, we shouldn't be going at this with the brakes applied. Like we should really be trying yeah. to fix things in a very serious, real way. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Definitely oh. stay in touch. Sorry, with- what were you going to say? I was just going to give Stephanie an opportunity before you go to plug your event this evening as well. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. So hi, everyone. Um, we have a Medicare for All Tennessee coalition that we've built with a series of um, different progressive organizations across Tennessee who are supportive of Medicare for All. Um, and we just have a webinar tonight. Um, it's called What's in it for Tennesseans on Medicare for All. And we really just wanted to bring this conversation here to Tennessee. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of confusion, especially that's tonight. Yes, that's tonight. At Very cool. Central. Go ahead. I was just going to say Wendell Potter has an incredible story because he was a former uh, health insurance VP of communication, like he was part of the problem and he admits yeah. it. And so he's a health insurance executive yeah. turned Medicare for all advocate. Yeah. And, you know, he basically openly admits that the talking points that like Canada doesn't get it right or all this mm-hmm. other bullshit that they try to sell us, yeah. that those are talking points, insurance yeah. company talking points. So that's awesome that you're going to have him on. Definitely. So if anyone is interested with what Justin just said, please join us. We also have Dr. Paris, who's an awesome advocate, and then Tammy Sawyer, who is the county commissioner for Shelby County. Um, really amazing speakers who have different perspectives on why we need Medicare for all and what that means for Tennesseans. So. Cassie, I think we should try to grab some clips from that. If I'm know. planning on it. Yeah. All right. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Come yeah, back soon cool. and definitely stay in touch with us. Thanks for the work you do. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, All right. Yeah, Rep. Jayapal's office is, you know, at the at the heart of all of the good work, and you know, I'm. I think we're both obviously open about our support for Medicare for all. Yeah. You know, this half measure stuff isn't working. Every other industrialized nation has it. It's time for us to have it too. We shouldn't be depending on our employers to, you know, allow us to live. I mean, the thing that I always go back to right here in Spring Hill when. UAW went on strike, GM, the first thing they did was cut off their health insurance. Right. Like think about the leverage that bosses have over workers simply just for that reason alone. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a way to empower workers and it's a way to take care of each other. Yeah. If we, I mean, just, just think about it through the lens that the right always uses of freedom. Like we, right. we don't have freedom from corporations. And one of the many reasons that we don't is because our health insurance, um, our healthcare is tied to our employer so often. And um, right. just think about how liberating that would be if we yeah. didn't have to worry about that. Yeah. I mean, you're right. The freedom, like the freedom to do what? Like they never finished right. thought. Freedom to die freedom to not have health care no freedom is about the freedom to choose your doctor the freedom to see a doctor like freedom is such a useless word the way they use it and you know you can flip it around and make it go anywhere you want it to go it's and they just throw it around so loosely it's really it's like almost as useless as socialism 